1: Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we're going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the warning woods every community's got its folklore right something an old timer maybe a grandparent or a friendly neighbor passed down to the children something the parents seem uncomfortable discussing but won't out and out deny well here in medlock we got one of those it's something of a love story not the hollywood kind nor the type you'll read in one of your grandmother's romance novels it's not the fairy tale type but it's plenty fantastical i'll tell you what makes me a little uncomfortable to talk about to tell the truth. I'm not one for magic or voodoo hocus-pocus, no ghosts or goblins for me, but I can't deny the weirdness that's occurred up at the point, or how it's changed over the decades. I can't deny the whispers that something evil is lurking up there. Make-out point itself is something of a cliché, or it was anyway. I'm sure you've seen a movie, or Twelve, where a young couple dips off to some remote spot. It might have even been called Makeout Point, or something darn similar. You gotta understand, back then we didn't have these hundreds of shows and movies all tapping into the same old cliches like the kids do now. We didn't feel the need to be too original because, well, everything felt pretty original to us. Plus, those of us who frequented Makeout Point, to include my younger self, Didn't care too much what it was called. Some called it the kissing grove, or the, uh, field of feels. It was mostly upperclassmen who used that one, and their dates never heard them say it. Love is a fickle thing. That's something you really learn with age. And Makeout Point was full of love. A spot so key to so many romances would have to be. It's located just off of 234th, which is still just a gravel road to nowhere in particular. There's a good section of 234th that's heavily wooded on the north side. There's just about half an acre of land in that section where the trees thin out, then open up on the other side in a semicircle. No one really knows why. Beyond that grassy patch lies a field which has, at different times, been different things. Back when I was a young man, it was a strawberry field. Since then, the farmer who owned that field has passed. The land went to some relative who sold the land, and the farmer's house, to someone else. Whatever they tried to plant, it wouldn't grow. Not a bit. The new owner tried selling off the land again, but couldn't find anyone to take it. I'm not really sure who the land belongs to now, but it's gotten overgrown with tall weeds and some kind of bushes, scraggly fruitless things. They look ugly as sin and the farmer's house sits empty as far as I know, surprised it hasn't collapsed yet. Most budding romances begin with a fresh intensity, a burning passion. The love feels unconditional, but if you've been around long enough, you've learned those feelings never last. Hopefully you've still got something left once they're gone. If you're lucky enough to find a partner willing to stick by your side through thick and thin, you know love can go on without those original feelings. But for many, maybe most, the love isn't strong enough to outlast the flame of novel infatuation. Oof, I'm using up all my big words today. When the flames of love become embers, the intense feelings still need somewhere to go. Often they flicker and spark as anger and jealousy. In the weakest, they manifest in violent outbursts and fits of rage. This poisoning is what happened to the love at the point. The love, once in the air at the point, has soured. There's a story from 2006 which might explain what I'm trying to tell you better than I can. It involved a couple of kids from the next county over. If you can't already tell, this story isn't going to have a happy ending, so steel yourself for that or tune me out now. I only ask that if you don't listen to me, that you'll still promise not to go to the point. Definitely not if you're alone, but especially... Not if you're with someone you feel for. So I guess this kid, Mitchell Bailey, had just turned 16, gotten his license, and been given a hand-me-down Toyota Corolla to beat up on until he could afford something better. This Mitchell had a little girlfriend named Pia something or other. She was brand new to the area, and I hear her folks cleared out after what went down at the point. Nobody ever really got to know them. Now, some of you are going to cast judgment on the teenage couple. Sneaking off together at night, driving out of the county to hook up and all that. But I'd like to remind you that you were once teenagers yourselves, and that it hasn't gotten any easier to be one. Us old-timers sometimes seem to want the youth of today to have overcome the very same weaknesses we had at that age. Mitchell and Pia didn't know about the point. It's highly unlikely someone from their county would have talked about it unless they moved there from here. They just happened to turn down 234th and cruise toward it that night. Lord knows which one of them spotted the thin line of trees and the open patch behind it. By then, that patch was mostly dirt with a few splotches of stubborn grass here and there. Folks around here had been avoiding it for over a decade already. Mitchell pulled the Corolla through the trees and parked it. I don't understand how anyone could get in the mood for romance looking through the windshield at that gnarly field of tangled brush. It looks like Br'er Rabbit's briar patch, if any of you are old enough to remember that silly book. It's spooky, that's what it is. Dried up, twisted plants casting shadows in the daylight and being shadows at night. I guess maybe I don't remember so well what it is like to be a teenager in love. If I think about it, some craggly plants wouldn't have stopped me neither. Now, our young couple had never had a fight. They hadn't been together long enough to find anything they disagreed on. Neither of them had raised their voice to the other, yet when Mitchell started pawing at Pia's t-shirt, she pushed him away and scolded him harshly, but not for the reason you might assume. She scolded him for stretching her shirt out. When Mitchell told her that he hadn't been tugging that hard, she raised a flat hand to smack him with and froze in place. Those two looked into each other's eyes then, Pia still holding up her hand, and Mitchell asked her what was really wrong. I don't know, she said. I don't really care about this shirt that much and I've never hit anybody in my life. It's like I just wasn't myself for a minute. Mitchell forgave the outburst and the two tried to get back into it, but this time it was Mitchell who broke away. He said, I don't know if we should do this. I mean, I guess we don't know each other that well yet. Pia asked him exactly how far he thought she was going to let him go, and he said he hadn't even thought about it. A lie, I'm sure, but the poor boy truly hadn't meant to imply anything. He meant they shouldn't be parked out in the middle of nowhere together, and the part he kept to himself was that he didn't want to be out alone with a girl who apparently might attack him at the slightest provocation. Well, Pia told him that she wasn't a slut, if that's what he thought she was, and he told her he didn't think that. Well, then why'd you bring me out here to the middle of nowhere, huh? To look at the stars? She asked sarcastically. The stars really were quite beautiful out there, normally, but that night was fairly overcast." I don't know, it just seemed like… like something to do," Mitchell said. Teenage boys often find it difficult to explain their choices, since logic isn't usually a high-ranking factor. Is that what you see me as? Something to do? Demanded Pia. Mitchell stammered. No, that's not… He turned red, then kicked open his door, stepped out, and slammed it behind himself. Pia got out too, already flying into rage. ''What was that about?'' she yelled. ''You can't handle a conversation?'' ''This isn't a conversation,'' Mitchell snapped back. ''It's just you trying to twist my words and make me sound like a bad guy.'' ''Maybe you are a bad guy,'' she said. ''Maybe you...'' Mitchell froze, unable to think of anything pointed or clever to say. Instead, he slammed his fist down on the beat-up hood of the Corolla. ''Wow.'' That didn't seem like something a good guy would do, Pia spat. Mitchell's fist stayed tight. He kept it down at his side, feeling his own pulse in his palm. He would never hit her, would he? No. He just needed to get her back in the car and take her home. He couldn't understand how they had gotten to this point. What had they started fighting about? And why were they outside of the car now? Come on, Pia, let's just drive back. I'll take you home and we can talk tomorrow get in the car with you? I don't know. You seem pretty turned up right now, she said. Mitchell shook his head, flustered. So what do you want to do, walk? How about I drive and you can sit in the back, she said. No way. This is my car. Do you even have your license yet? Psh, does that even matter when you're out in a wasteland like this? Come on, give me the keys. She didn't sound like herself at all. Mitchell had never heard her use that tone or speak so negatively of the area before. He felt so confused. And afraid. When Mitchell refused to give her the keys, Pia stepped forward. She wondered why. She felt so unlike her usual self, normally passive and easygoing. She wasn't a pushover, at least she didn't think so. But she never would have demanded the keys to anyone's car before. She had only been behind the wheel of a car a handful of times and still had her learner's permit. She had started feeling a little out of control, and the scariest part was, she couldn't stop herself from pressing forward. She swiped at Mitchell's hands, and he yanked the keys away. Pia stop, I swear. Give them. No. Pia lunged, and Mitchell threw his keys over her head into the twisted field. They heard the keys land somewhere not too far in but even in the daylight finding those suckers would have been a fitful task. In the dark, in their present states of mind, such a task seemed near impossible. And probably it was. Pia screamed, What have you done? She grabbed Mitchell's shirt, clawing at the fabric until she had it bunched up in her fists. Mitchell fought against her, trying not to be too forceful or to actually hit her. But when her nails started digging into him through his shirt, he couldn't hold back. He shoved her hard, She didn't let go. He struck her, open-handed, across the cheek, then shoved again. Pia fell back against the car. She stared at him in disbelief. He stared back. In that moment, if they'd had the keys, they may have had the presence of mind to get the heck out of there. I'm sure once they did that they could have forgiven one another and probably had a happy summer fling, but they didn't have the keys because Mitchell had tossed them into the field. And so... The young couple stayed at the point, and its power worked through them like those ugly plants that took over the strawberry field. Pia got back in the car while Mitchell stayed outside. He'd had a moment of clarity, an increasingly rare thing, and decided a little space might keep he and his girlfriend from killing each other. He took a few steps toward the field. Out across its wooden waves stood a collapsing house. A few of its windows had been smashed. The peak of the roof made a crooked line across the cloudy night sky, indicating the back half may have caved in. The house gave Mitchell a chilling sensation. He experienced the feeling in all five senses at once. He could see the house, of course, but he could also hear its rotting boards moan, smell the dank interior, dusty rugs heavy with mildew. He could feel the humid air being gently caressed by cool breezes from those broken windows, And finally, he could taste something stale, yet undeniably sweet. Perhaps the aromas of well used candles that had been baked into the wood over time and now leaked back out as chemical apparitions. Michael heard the glove box slam shut and whipped his head around. The glove box contained only three things, so far as he knew his insurance card, the vehicle's registration, and a four-inch fixed-blade knife his hunting father had passed down to him when he turned 14. Why don't you guess which one Pia had taken out? Our tepid Michael quivered as he asked, Pia, what are you doing? She got out of the car and shut the door. Then she crouched on the far side of the car, out of Mitchell's view. He stepped toward the car, but no sooner had he moved than the front right corner of the car dropped down. The whole thing rocked like a boat. Pia stood up and did the rear tire on her side next. Why? Mitchell demanded. Now he was starting to go out of his mind with anger. Pia, already out of her mind, started moving to slash the other back tire. Mitchell said, Wait, the car's not going anywhere with two flats. Just stop. Pia gave him a mischievous smile and raised the knife out at her side. Mitchell lunged for her, catching her knife-wielding arm before she could cause any more damage. She fought him, and he tried to free the knife from her grip. In the struggle, the sharp edge got flipped toward Mitchell's face. One possibly unintentional jolt from Pia slid the blade diagonally through the skin just below Mitchell's left eye. The searing pain drove any lingering sanity from the boy's consciousness. He kicked Pia against the car and ripped the knife from her hand. His own blood dripped down the flat side of the blade, He wiped it clean on his shirt, leaving a red smear there. Pia paled and tried to run toward the road, but Mitchell ran parallel to her until he overtook her and forced her to turn. She ran, instead, into the field. That mangled mess must have been just shy of impossible to move through. I bet the plants came up to Pia's waist. They're like a spiderweb out there. A great big wooden spiderweb. That night... They seemed to function just like a spiderweb, too. Once Mitchell had Pia climbing and hurtling her way through the field, he was able to take his time. He knew she would tire out soon enough, probably before him, based on how hard he could hear her breathing. When he entered the field, the plants seemed to move out of his way, just enough to let him through. They shuttled him towards the rotting house. Pia tried to climb over a plant, but it snapped beneath her shoulder. She tumbled headfirst into the dirt. One of her ankles got wedged near the top of the plant she'd fallen through. She couldn't stand. And if she lay, she had to lay face down. Otherwise, her ankle was twisted all wrong and hurt terribly. She could hear Mitchell approaching quickly. She started wriggling her toes, trying to get out of her tennis shoe and maybe slip free from the plant. The web... The wind started blowing then, flowing through the house. It carried messages down to Mitchell. He heard faint voices on the wind, ambiguous howlings of, Bleed her dry, and feed the ground. Mitchell thought he heard one say, Feed me. As he came upon Pia, writhing and struggling, he heard the most powerful voice of all say, Butcher her flesh. He looked up at the house and saw those broken windows like eyes staring down at him, the jagged pupils trained directly at his soul. The house was looking at him hungrily. It scared him. What was he doing? Was he trying to kill Pia now? How had they gone from a pointless argument to this? He touched his cheek and his hand came away sticky with blood. Before he lost control again, Mitchell tossed that knife out over the field as far as he could make it go. The blade spun end over end until it thunked on the plants somewhere out of sight. A forceful gale hit him and pushed him onto his back on top of the plants. A few of them cracked underneath him, but he fought to stay on top. The wind sounded like a fierce scream from the rotting house. A real scream, or a human scream, rather, came from right beside him. He turned horrified to see the twisted plants start churning around Pia. They rolled like the blades of a meat grinder, pulling her farther down, turning her caught ankle to an unnatural degree. Mitchell heard the bones of her legs snap. He reached his hand through some plants and found one of Pia's. He held onto her as the plants undulated all around her. The one which had trapped her leg was now forcing it into the dirt below itself, churning up the earth. burying her. Her foot pointed upward, then she screamed a scream unlike anything Mitchell had ever heard a person make before. He prayed it was only Pia's shoe that had gotten ripped off as the leg disappeared under the dirt. But he knew better. In seconds, only the girl's head, shoulders, and the arm attached to the hand Mitchell held were still above the dirt. She was sinking fast. Mitchell! Make it stop. Make them stop, Pia screamed. She drew in one last breath before her face went into the ground. Still, Mitchell held on. He started getting pulled through the plants as Pia was dragged deep below the surface. Branches ripped his clothes and cut his skin. He kept holding on until his hand was pulled into the dirt too. Then, he let go of Pia forever. The moment her fingertips disappeared into the earth... The field quit churning, the wind stopped howling, and the house quieted too. Mitchell tried to quiet his heavy panting to listen for any sounds below. Maybe Pio was still alive down there, maybe he could dig her out. He clawed at the dirt, but found it hard packed and dry. It had a smooth surface, as if nothing but the wind had disturbed it in years. With only his bare fingers, Mitchell couldn't break through. He looked behind himself, and even saw the shoe, with or without anything inside it, had been swallowed up as well. He walked back to the point, then walked along 234th until he came to the county line road. By then it was the wee hours of the morning, and there weren't any cars out save for the couple of deputies that patrol at night. Those two have to manage the whole county, so it's a miracle one of them drove up on young Mitchell sitting next to the road. She listened to his story as she drove him home. When the sun came up, the sheriff put together a search party to comb that twisted field and the abandoned house nearby. There was no trace of Pia anywhere. No sign the dirt had been disturbed, or even any broken branches that could have indicated anyone went into the field that night. The search party did turn up Mitchell's keys and his knife, which even the sheriff admitted was too deep in the field to have been thrown from the point. They found Pia's fingerprints on the handle and the blade, but only Mitchell's blood. Mitchell was locked up until he turned 18. Everyone thought he killed her. The scrapes and scratches on his body were enough physical evidence to convict him. While he was behind bars, Mitchell told anyone who would listen about the point. He told them what it did to both him and Pia, how it turned them against one another, and, in the end took Pia to satisfy itself. After he got out, Mitchell left town for obvious reasons, but the story got out with him, and it's been shared to death around here. You may recall I told you I don't believe in ghosts and spirits. Still, you won't see me anywhere near the point. I've been avoiding it probably since Mitchell Bailey was in diapers. He seems like an honest enough man but I can't discount the possibility he fabricated the whole story to cover up his actions, or, perhaps, to convince himself he hadn't killed his girlfriend. I'll leave it up to you to decide for yourself. But again, I beg you, whatever you believe, just leave the point alone. Don't drive out there to check it out for yourself. That old house still stands out there, watching. And if Mitchell Bailey is to be believed... Whatever dwells on that land must be starving. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. If you want more creepy content, follow me on Instagram at The Warning Woods. If you feel ready, Meet me here next week for another journey into the Warning Woods. Thank you for listening.